You're listening to Revenge of the Drive-In, the podcast where Jim and Patrick watch and discuss a drive-in double feature, consisting of horror films, spy films, exploitation movies, erotic thrillers, sex comedies, and the like. Our ultimate goal is to determine if these two movies, randomly selected from a list of over 1,600, would make for a good drive-in double feature. We will be going through the plots of these movies in detail, so if you're concerned about spoilers, feel free to check them out before listening to us, and we'll be sure to point out if and when these films are available on various streaming services. Be sure to follow us on Twitter for any updates. That's at Podcast, no underscores, hyphens, or spaces. And let's get started. I'm your host, Patrick, and I'm joined by... Jim. All right, Jim, we watched two movies. Well, one is a real movie anyways, I think you'll agree. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, definitely. And that one, of course, is Phantasm from 1979, director Don Coscarelli. It's available on both Shudder and Tubi. I didn't realize it was on Tubi until today, actually. It's also on Amazon Prime in Canada. Yeah, I don't believe it is in the U.S., so that's good to know for those three Canadian listeners we have. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I want to get started on Phantasm, but before we get into the plot, I'm interested in hearing your first thoughts, because this is your first time seeing it, correct? It is, it is. First thoughts, I was a little confused by it, and I guess I'm still sort of a little confused by it. Yes. Uh, But I was taken aback near the middle of it uh, when there's a scene in in this funeral home, I guess. For me, it kind of ramped up from there, and I really enjoyed it. Phantasm is confusing by design i think mm-hmm. uh there, there's a good confusing and a bad confusing we haven't talked about this before but good confusing is like i think david lynch or yeah yeah some, like like 2001 a space odyssey where you're free to interpret things in certain ways and i think that's what this movie is bad confusing is more like i don't know killer workout where like character motivations just aren't very clear and you don't really know what's happening yeah exactly and i feel like While this movie is confusing, like, I understand every scene what's going on. It's just all together. It's weird. But the movie is trying to be dreamlike, and I think it does a really, really good job of that. It does, yeah. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it, but I was actually confused as to who exactly um, the main character was in in the first, like, 15 minutes of the movie. Oh, yeah. Well, he's, like, half the age of his brother, so that's a little confusing. Well, I thought they were the same person at first, and and it was flashbacks. (laughs) <laughs> like, I was very confused by the movie, but I really I mean, off it. the top of my head, without delving deeper into this, you're, it's not even a theory, but, like, I think that, like, almost could work in a way, because there's weird stuff going on with the brother, which we'll get into, and we don't want to yeah. spoil it right off the bat. Let's, let's get into it right now, shall we? Okay. So, Phantasm opens at a dark cemetery at night, Morningside Cemetery, where a very, very 70s-looking man named Tommy is having sex with a woman whose name we don't know. She's just credited as Lady in Lavender because when she's wearing clothes, she has this purple dress on. <laughs> when she's wearing and, clothes, yeah. <laughs> well, she's, she's not always. Yeah, exactly. She's not here. After they finish, she pulls out a knife and kills him, and then we get a couple of like jump cuts into her face, and then it we see the face of Angus Scrim, who right now we don't know who that is, but I'm not spoiling too much by saying that's the tall man. That's our antagonist mm-hmm. here. Not to be confused with Slenderman, of course. Do you think that's where they got it from? I have a feeling Phantasm had some kind of influence on Slenderman, but I'm not certain of that. So anyways, following that, we have a scene with Reggie and Jody. Reggie is played by Reggie Bannister. There is a theme going here of 
actors playing characters with their same name and i think the reasoning is just don coscarelli met these people and liked them and because uh, i believe reggie banister wasn't even an actor i think he was like a musician or something oh the, well that explains the scene yeah well yeah on. there's <laughs> you know we're delving closer and closer to musicals with some of these movies you know we've had great soundtracks and like killer workout we've had great musical montages and silent night deadly night eventually we actually will do musicals because we've got a lot of elvis movies on our list and of course you know your rocky horror little shop of horrors like those kinds of musicals but this movie has some pretty good music that i don't think was written for the movie it was written by this guy but it had never been released before the movie and come to think of it i don't know if it really truly is released i don't think this film had a soundtrack i mean it's great It, it it maybe should the score is incredible. The score is by Fred Murrow and some other guy. And Fred Murrow is not someone I'm really familiar with other than he did the scores for other Phantasm movies. I don't want to say all of the other ones because mm-hmm. I don't know. But the Phantasm theme is phenomenal. It's kind of like Halloween where it's, it's pretty simple and it's mostly piano. But it's got a lot of ominous sounding noise behind it too. There's cymbals and then that like a... I don't know if it's a synthesizer comes in at one point and, and it's just I don't know it's it's a fantastic theme very underrated when you hear people talk about like great horror movie themes or scores they usually go back to like you know Suspiria Jaws um, even the Exorcist Halloween. that kind of that kind the of Exorcist main, yeah the bells thing but that's what it reminded me of the most oh sure yeah I can I can imagine that Poss- possible influence there but anyways, Reggie and Jody are gathering at Morningside Cemetery, which is a cemetery that has this big Victorian mansion in it, which is the funeral parlor, even though it looks nothing like any funeral parlor on Earth. And on the inside, it looks nothing like any funeral par- parlor on Earth. Yeah, is uh, it also like like a the crematorium? Yeah, it's I, I don't if whatever it parlor is? parlor might not be the right word. Mortuary, you know, I, I, I've never worked at one of those. I don't know that's this stuff, but yeah. And we learn that at one point that Reggie and Jody were bandmates with Tommy, and so they're close with him. And Jody goes inside to visit the plots of uh, his parents, who passed away, you know, a few years ago. And as he's in there, he hears some weird noises that I can't even really describe. And he's, like, looking around. As he's looking around, the tall man grabs him by the shoulder and says, The funeral is about to begin, which is kind of this movie's famous line. And, and while this is going on, too, Jody's younger brother, Mike, who Jody decided not to let come to the funeral because of the experience with their parents a few years ago. Mike is about like 14, 15, something like that. He shows up on his dirt bike and kind of watches things from afar, from in the woods, just on the edge of the woods, right outside the, the cemetery. And he hears some weird noises, too, and sees these, like, small cloaked figures just barely disappearing behind headstones and things like that yeah and and that's also accompanied with the same kind of whooshing sliding sound effect that jody was hearing in the funeral home yeah and we'll get into this but these cloaked figures are i think kind of the only thing i don't really like in this movie they're just a little i feel like even though this movie is very low budget it was basically self-financed because uh don coscarelli was a very young man at the time he's 25 years old he had actually already directed at least one movie before this believe it or not but he came from like a wealthy family and so his father was like giving him money to do this which you know you can have a really really wealthy father and it's not necessarily enough money to make a big movie you know (laughs) 
Well, you know what they look exactly like? They look like Jawas. They're Jawas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. This movie came out after Star Wars, two years after Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Might have been in production before. I know it was kind of a turbulent production because, well, because it was funded by Don Coscarelli's dad really is the reason. <laughs> but yeah, they look very, very similar to Jawas. And that's part of the reason why I don't like them. But they're they're also just... A little schlockier than most other things in this movie. This movie does have a, like a really, really creepy, serious tone. And then those things are kind of, you know, they're a little campy. I totally agree with you. It's it, it's a little off-putting for, especially later when the, I mean, again, I don't want to get to it, but when the movie becomes a little more cerebral, I guess. Yes. And we don't really get much of a glimpse of them. It's really, all you see is kind of the cloak and they're disappearing. But you can tell they're small because they're shorter than the headstones. So after the funeral, Mike watches the burial from, again, the trees. So Jody and Reggie give their final goodbyes and leave. And then as everybody's leaving, except for Mike, because he's watching from afar, the tall man picks up the casket by himself and places it in the back of the hearse. And Mike, and honestly, the audience at this point is thinking, what the hell? Mm-hmm. And it's a great little scene because there's kind of a close-up on Mike's face and he mouths, what the fuck? Yeah, that's right. Which I, I would like to point out, too, that, you know, we've got the, our teen actor here. He's played by Michael Baldwin. Again, the Mike Michael, also known the as The lesser a of the Baldwin Michael... brothers. Yes. <laughs> no, he's not a Baldwin brother. He's not <laughs> married to a woman pretending to be Spanish. <laughs> but uh, he's also, I think he's officially credited as A. Michael Baldwin. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he has the initial because I've heard people just they just refer to him as Michael Baldwin so I don't know what the deal is there not a big deal so Mike then goes to the home of a psychic grandmother whose granddaughter is in theory a friend of his we don't really know but she lets him in and he's got questions for her she's blind and she doesn't talk she kind of communicates through her granddaughter but she can hear him and he's really come there for two reasons. One, he's just very, very worried about Jody leaving because he follows Jody around all the time and has overheard conversations where he said that, you know, he's going to leave town and, and leave Mike to live with an aunt and uncle somewhere. And he's, he's kind of attached at the hip, so obviously he's very worried about that. So we mentioned Mike is like 13, 14, 15. Jody's like 25, maybe, like 10 years older than him, give or take. And the grandmother, through the granddaughter, informs him that don't worry about that. If he leaves, he'll take you with him. But then he also has other stuff to talk about. And that's what he saw at the cemetery, which is A, the tall man picking up the cask. Also something we didn't see in the previous scene and we don't see until this flashback. When Mike is leaving the cemetery on his dirt bike, the tall man looks at him and the bike flips. So... Mm -hmm supernatural power well we already knew supernatural powers because he shapeshifts into naked women but confirms supernatural powers here (laughs) a living person can see that now not just the audience and in response to this the psychic has mike place his hand in this like little box they tell him to relax to not fear but he's feeling pain he's feeling as if something is grabbing his hand and he starts to freak out but the granddaughter keeps saying don't fear michael don't fear And then when he doesn't, when he relaxes, he's able to pull his hand out and realize that there was nothing in there. Mm -hmm. And so she tells him that fear is the real killer, and that's what my grandmother wants you to learn here. And this kind of comes back later, but not really, if we're being honest. Yeah, it's it's a great little um, 
line to keep in the back of your head while you watch the movie but there's really no major payoff for it but it's right yeah i i have a little theory actually or, or if we were to remake this movie because to date phantasm has not been remade and i'm not advocating for that by any means because i love that this hasn't been remade it had a sequel as recently as 2016 believe it or not really but i think you could do something with the psychic where she's actually feeding him bad advice because she is the tall man in disguise you almost I've seen this movie a number of times, and at different points when I've watched it, I've kind of felt like maybe that was going to be the case, you know? Yeah, I see what you're saying, especially because after he does leave, the camera lingers on the on the grandmother and granddaughter for a minute, and they kind yes, of Yes, exactly, that's what I was thinking of. menacingly. Yeah, yeah, she's got this, like, sinister-looking thing. Yeah. And, of course, her... Well, I can't really say it's her advice that gets her granddaughter killed, but her granddaughter does get killed because she she wanders into the mortuary at night and is intrigued by this mysterious door. And so she opens it and she screams. And while she's screaming, we cut to the exterior of the house. So Mm -hmm. her curiosity, her lack of fear, arguably, is what got her killed. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Tall man, grandmother, my working theory. I like it. I dig it. So Jody and Reggie are sitting on the porch jamming out to a song called Sitting Here at Midnight, which is a pretty fun song, I think you'll agree. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, they're both playing guitars. Jody's wearing his kick-ass Rolling Stones t-shirt. Reggie's wearing his ice cream uniform because <laughs> because Reggie's an ice cream Reggie's an ice cream truck driver, which is just like why the hell not, I guess. Well, and not only is he wearing his kick-ass ice cream truck driver uniform, but he's also rocking a kick-ass oh, a yeah. bald head with, like, a rat tail ponytail thing. Yeah, the, the, the old bald ponytail, a combination I think I've seen exactly once in my life in the 1979 film Fantasm. <laughs> I was going to say he had, like, Sam Because I, th- I think hair. he loses the ponytail for the sequels. Oh, so. does oh he's oh because I haven't seen the sequels. Of course, I uh, I didn't know he was in them. But he has the same hair almost as Sam Jackson in Jackie Brown. Oh oh, that's right. Okay, I haven't seen that movie in like ten years. That makes sense. Either way, disgusting haircut. The most horrifying thing in the film. <laughs> so later on, Jody goes to a bar and meets up with the lady in lavender and hits on her and they decide to leave and they go to Morningside Cemetery where she had previously killed Tommy. And in a shot I don't really like, we already knew Mike was following them, but there's this one shot where the two of them, Jody and the Lady in Lavender, are in frame. They walk over to the left of the frame, out of frame, and then almost immediately after, Mike comes in from the right. I just, the the, the composition there is just kind of like, I feel like they should have seen him because it seems like he was like 10 feet away. <laughs> Well, yeah, and there's also uh, an, an, another issue with Mike showing up throughout this movie on, on Jody's tales. Because he's Jody's... a cock blocker? Well, that too, which I was like, come on, pal, what are you doing? Well, but he secondly, saves his life. Well, you know, well, you're right, you're right, that's true. But secondly, Jody's driving a car. Mike is either presumably riding his bike or walking. Yeah, and... well, I mean, we don't know. The bar could be close to home. We don't know. That. Oh, I mean, you're right, he, you're right. He also, Mike also drives the car a few times, even though I was surprised. license. Well, the first time you see that car, he gets out of the of the driver's seat. And you're like, oh, yeah, he works on the car too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, Jody and the Lady in Lavender slash the tall man in disguise are about to have sex at the cemetery. Mike shows up there and again, noises, he investigates and he's attacked by one of those cloaked, dwarf things we still don't get a great yes, look at it but this is the best look we have so far and mm-hmm. he runs screaming 
through the cemetery. Jody gets up and is like, wait, that's my brother. Let me go. And then so he goes and chases him. And Mike obviously tells him something attacked me. This isn't safe. What the hell's going on? And Jody's like, you're full of it, man. Just leave me alone. (laughs) Yeah, go home. Yeah. So and then Jody goes back to the woman and she's gone. Because the Jawas blew the Jawas blew the tall man's cover in this case. <laughs> yeah. And then this is probably the most famous scene of the movie here is um Mike is in bed, he's having a dream, and in that dream he wakes up, he's still in bed, but the bed is in the middle of the cemetery with the tall man looming over him really ominously. And it's a wonderful shot, it's so great. And then those Jawa things attack him from all sides, coming out of the ground. It's really cool. It's just a brief thing. Technically, you could get rid of it from the movie. You could wipe it from the movie, and the movie wouldn't really change. But this is just such a cool moment. Oh, for sure. And I mean, it's you know, it's it's a great little scary set piece they have going on. Yeah, and there's another and... dream pretty similar to this later in the movie that's not as visually awesome, but it's still pretty effective too. I think these mm-hmm. are these are some of the best moments of the movie. The next day, presumably, Mike is walking around kind of the main street of the town. Reggie is doing his thing with his ice cream truck. He's opening up the back of it when the tall man comes walking in. This is all in slow motion. It's great. Angus Scrim gives the tall man a really kind of unique walk. I don't know how you describe it, but it's just it's just unique. It's different. It's weird looking. It's kind of a little creepy in a way. And when he comes near the ice cream truck, he seems to just revel in, I guess, the cold coming from that. He just, like, looks really satisfied in a creepy way and then kind of turns towards the camera and towards mike another scene technically adds nothing to the movie or adds little to the movie but it's just awesome it looks great these are the moments man these are the moments that make me love the tall man as a villain yeah and all the all the slow-mo shots of him walking throughout the movie are just they're great and i mean and he has that that terrifying gait and you're right, I don't even know how to describe it. Just picture a really tall man with a big stride. Yes. But it's terrifying in his black suit with his... I can't even describe his haircut either, but he just looks terrifying. Yeah, and, and he's just... I mean, he's got kind of a creepy face, too. Like, he, mm-hmm. because we haven't said anything really about Angus Scrim. Angus Scrim is not a young man in this movie. This is kind of his first big role, if you will. It's... Honestly, I I don't know what else he's done other than the Phantasm movies, but he's it will forever be an icon to a certain group of people because of that. And he's not a young man. He's kind of he probably looks older than he is because he was alive as recently as filming of the fifth Phantasm movie a few years ago. But he's just creepy looking, and he's got this like almost like an underbite, something like with his jaw. He just has like a really really prominent jawbone or something. Yeah, it's a, it's a great look. I mean, there's there's no real like a lot of times with like horror movies, you get your villain and your villain's just a normal guy, and it's the makeup that gives that character the look. Here, he just is a guy, and I think his costume's important because Angus Grimm isn't actually that tall. I think he's maybe like six three or six four, which you know is tall, but it's not like NBA center tall or something. That's not necessarily. The height I would imagine someone who plays a character called the tall man to be. But he has this black suit, you know, because he works at the cemetery. And the, but the suit, they actually made it him wear a suit that was a size or two too small. So he looks like bigger oh. than it. He, it. It makes him look taller. I think he might have a little bit of lifts in his shoes as well. 
but he appears taller than yeah, he is. He looks ginormous. Yeah, yeah. He he looks like he's probably like six eight or something, but he's not. He's like four or five inches shorter than that, I think. And his hands too. His hands look huge. Whenever like when he puts it on the shoulder. Well, not when they're missing fingers. The oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so at night, Mike is working on the car underneath the car, doing things with wrenches and stuff like that. When the dwarves show up again with their weird, creepy noises, and they trap him under the car. And someone reaches to go get him, and he swings his wrench, but it turns out it's just Jody, and Mike is, again, those things are after me. Like, I don't know what's going on, and Jody still doesn't believe him, because why would he, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, well, it helped her dwarves running after me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't think the dwarves are given proper names. I don't think we learn what they are called other than, so we'll just call them dwarves or Jawas. I think the sequels, eventually, they call them, like, Crawlers? or It's like a name like that. It's probably not Crawlers, but it's, like, kind of a generic name like that but they're well, yeah, but well, they're they, jawas exactly and there's a scene later on where they look even more like jawas you know this movie came out after star wars george lucas could have sued and we all know george lucas loves his money but mm -hmm. he didn't <laughs> uh so i'm guessing george lucas you, george a secret phantasm fan perhaps i hope maybe so. we know jj abrams the director of two of the three most recent star wars movies is a phantasm fan because character of captain phasma aka the least memorable character ever is named after after the movie phantasm because the silver chrome on her uniform resembles probably the most iconic thing in this movie that we haven't gotten to yet and also this movie was restored or remastered or whatever by bad robot films jj that's what company. i was gonna say yeah, yeah. Mike sneaks into the mortuary. He breaks through a window to climb in. Someone else is there, and he hides. And we have no idea who this guy is. I guess he's just a robber or something. <laughs> I don't well, I know what the hell he's doing. Might have been like a gardener or something, like um, like a groundskeeper or Me, something. I, I guess. Know. I guess possibly. At any rate, Mike is walking through the hall, and we haven't talked about the interior of this Victorian mansion, because I mentioned it doesn't really look in the exterior like a mortuary, a funeral home, whatever. It doesn't really look on the inside like anything on this earth. I mean, it's it's got like the, the Greek kind of marble, and it's the columns and stuff. I'm sure it's not actually marble, because mm -hmm. they built this for it. But it doesn't look right. It looks very, like, dream-like. It reminds me of... I don't know if you've ever watched Twin Peaks. It kind of reminds me of the uh, yeah. the Red Room a bit. Yeah, yeah. It's got these, you know, red velvet curtains. Yeah, it does have the curtains. Kind of juxtaposed with this bright marble floor, or like marble-esque floor and walls. Yeah, it does have the curtains. Uh, I was thinking mostly just like the minimalism of it, though. Yes, you know, yeah. Because, I mean, it looks like a set, let's be honest. Uh, but 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 I like it. <laughs> and I like in the one, I think it's the one scene when the granddaughter is like going towards that one door. Above the door, you can see are, like, faces of, like, Greek statues and stuff. It's yeah. like Pericles and Heracles and stuff like that. And it's like, what? Yeah. Who puts that? that that's not to anyone. I don't right get now. it, but it, I love it. No, no, it's great. I put that yeah. in my house. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not complaining. I enjoy it. But anyways, Mike is walking through there, and a flying silver ball emerges. It's about the size of a baseball. It's coming at him, and he runs away. And when he runs away from it, he's grabbed by that other guy, possible robber, possible gardener, overall creep, because he's, he's <laughs> the way he grabs him. I mean, I mean, this isn't really comfortable. And then the ball comes back and it comes at them again, at the two of them. And from it come two like knife things, I, I, fangs, piercers, whatever you want to call them. Those things stick out. They stick, mm -hmm. you know, do, do the sound and they're coming at him. <laughs> 
and Mike ducks, the ball lands right on that other guy's forehead. And there's a brief moment of pause, and then a drill comes out of it and drills into his forehead in the most disgusting scene of the movie. This is wonderful, though, because it just drills into him, and then from the back of the ball comes all of the blood that it's taking from him. It's just really awesome. These silver balls, whatever the hell they are, I think they're called Sentinels at some point in the series. Oh, that's a great, that's a great name for them. Yeah, I think they're called Sentinels, and but they're just balls, whatever. They kind of look like Christmas tree ornaments, of course. And uh, they're, they're awesome. They're, like, really cool. They're iconic. They're one of my favorite, like, I guess you could call them weapons. They're they're almost sentient. I think they're an extension of the tall man. I think the Jawas oh, okay. are independent, relatively independent thinkers working for him. These things, I think, are the tall man, pretty much. Okay. But we don't really know a lot about them, which is part of what makes this movie a little magical and part of what lends itself to four sequels. But these are the iconic things of this movie. When Phantasm Two came out nine years later, because... Phantasm series is really weird. It's unlike other horror series. When the movie came out, the tagline, like on the poster and everything, was "The ball is back." <laughs> oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. This is the most graphic and probably the most memorable scene in the movie. And when you said earlier how this drill came out and drilled into his head and he starts shooting blood at it, it was like this little ball opened a little butthole at the back and just started firing. Yes an intermittent fountain of blood and brain matter and stuff out the back. And uh-huh. it, was, it was like slightly discolored blood too. And it just looked gross. This is a scene that I would say is a little silly were it not as bloody as it is. Because, you know, floating ball drills into a guy's head. Eh. Yeah, but, but like that it's as gory as it is. Because the Phantasm series, not that they don't have blood. Of course they do. But they're they're more gooey than they are bloody, if that makes any sense. Mm. There's a lot of yeah, goo. Yeah, There's you. a lot of like yellow. We see some of that later. Yeah not the only blood in the movie but there's not that much other than this scene no but you know you're right about yellow because speaking of yellow the guy after he dies or after he gets hit by the ball and it sucks out his brain and blood uh, he hits the ground and as he's twitching he starts peeing oh like all this pee like he like he voids his bowels on the on the marble floor i don't know if you if you well i don't think peeing is considered bowels but i got you but uh, I, I really liked that scene. He was extra gross and extra creepy. And that's in the foreground and Mike is in the background and he pulls out a knife. But I, I, I like that they added that because I think more horror movies need to add pee uh, oh, for when people die. Okay. <laughs> the tall man then shows up, looks at Mike and starts chasing him as he runs away. Mike gets behind a door, shuts it, and then realizes that the tall man's hand is in the door. So he takes his knife and cuts off his fingers and they're still moving on the ground really creepy and this is the the tall man does not bleed red he bleeds yellow which i think Mm. in the lore of the phantasm series i think that's supposed to be like formaldehyde isn't that what they pump corpses yeah to preserve them i think that's supposed to be what that is uh you know because he hangs around at a funeral parlor or whatever but i don't know if formaldehyde actually is yellow but Two movies tonight involving formaldehyde potentially. It gets it gets name dropped in this in screwballs. Don't you forget that? It does. Yeah, it does. Like the one unfortunately. thing. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> I feel so bad for formaldehyde whose whose wonderful name is being dragged through the mud by screwballs. Yeah, whose smelly whose smelly preservative name is uh is <laughs> is I don't, I don't even want to talk about it. It was yeah. Go on. So after escaping the dwarves chasing after him, the dwarves, Jawas, 
Mike shows the finger to Jody. He keeps it in this little like cigar box kind of thing, like a humidor. And Mike's like, okay, I believe you. I mean, there's no real explanation for this. There's some weird shit going on. And as they're ready to take it to the cops, Mike opens the box and finds that there's not a finger. There's this like bug creature thing that attacks him. Yeah, like a demon bug. Yeah, and this is another thing that's I guess is kind of silly. The, this and the Jawas are kind of the cheesy, kind of campy parts of this otherwise very, very well done movie. And I'm not even saying mm-hmm. this is a bad scene or anything. It's just it's a little goofy. And it sticks in his hair, and he is able to get it with his coat, and he brings it with Jody, and they shove it in the garbage disposal and notice that it ripped a hole in the coat. Reggie then shows up, just kind of, you know, saying hello. And then, <laughs> and then, the, then the demon bug jumps out of the sink again and starts attacking again until... They, they get it again in the coat, put it back in the garbage disposal, and they stab it with a knife as it's being ground up. And then Reggie's like, okay, what the hell? And <laughs> so Jody has a plan to investigate, but he first gives Mike some sound advice. He says, you don't aim a gun at a man unless you intend to shoot him. You don't shoot unless you intend to kill, because he does provide <laughs> Mike with a gun. They, I think they have, they have a shotgun, they have a Patrick, my friend, they have a, a Colt 1911 army model that can put anybody down, I think, is what Jody says. <laughs> okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> and so Jody goes on his own to Morningside. He gets attacked by dwarves, of course. And as he's running to escape, he's suddenly chased by a driverless car. And then his own car shows up. And at first, it seems like it's driverless, but it's just Mike, who I guess is ducking down so he won't get shot or just. He's really short. But at any rate, Mike drives as Jody rides a literal shotgun because, of course, he's armed with the shotgun. He, when they're chased by the car, he goes through the moonroof and shoots at it. He blows the hood off. He's trying to hit the engine, which he does. The car crashes, and as they go to see what the hell was going on, there was actually someone driving the car. It was a dwarf, but not just any dwarf, a Tommy dwarf, because their friend Tommy, who died in the opening scene has been crushed, condensed, to a three-foot-tall man who wears a hood and makes mm-hmm. weird noises and has claws. <laughs> so, I mean, if, if this is confusing to you, <laughs> I feel like this part actually gets explained, but, I mean, <laughs> this movie is pretty confusing overall. So Jody insists that Mike can't be at their house. He instead entrusts him to a couple of women that run an antique shop He has him go there like you'll be safe. But as he goes there, he goes looking through old photos and finds a photo of the tall man on a like a horse and buggy kind of thing wearing old timey clothes. And as he's looking at that and he's looking closer, the photo moves. The tall man turns and looks at him, which is really great. Yeah. You know, I hope they sued the hell out of J.K. Rowling. (laughs) Well, not not because I mean, not that this is the first time a photograph has moved, but just really, I just want that woman sued. Someone's got to do it. Um, I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> so Mike says he really needs to leave. He doesn't feel safe in the antique shop anymore. So he gets in the car with the two women that run the antique shop. We get their names, but I don't remember them. doesn't matter. And they're driving around, and as they do, they find Reggie's overturned ice cream truck because they had put the Tommy Dwarf in the back of the ice cream truck earlier. And as Reggie was driving it, there was some noise. I guess the dwarf attacked him, right? That's what we're led mm-hmm. to believe anyways. So they see the overturned truck, and then 
the car is attacked by the dwarves. The two women are... I don't know if they die. They kind of drive off as Mike kind of jumps out the back. So Mike returns home, and Jody, angered that Mike left the safe house, puts him in the room and sticks a screwdriver in the door so that it won't open. Jody then goes back to the cemetery, I guess, and Mike comes up with a very, you know, Home Alone-inspired way of getting out of there. I don't think this would work, but it's pretty cool. He, I mean, I don't know anything about shotgun shells or anything, but he takes a shotgun shell and a hammer, and I think he heats up the hammer by, like, putting it under a uh, lamp or something, and he smacks the shotgun shell against the door as hard as he can, and there's, like, the small explosion, and there's a hole so that he can reach his hand in and get the screwdriver out, which is pretty cool. And he's mm-hmm. about to leave the house when he opens the door, and the tall man is there, holding up his fingerless hand, only to reveal that he actually was just hiding his fingers because he has them again, which is which is a fun <laughs> moment. You kind of when you first see that, I'm kind of I'm kind of worried that like, oh, is this how? Because it's very clearly the actor Angus Grimm is just curling his fingers towards his palms so you don't see them, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, is this how they're gonna try and fake this thing? This is gonna be bad. But then it's like, no, he's the tall man has a little bit of a sense of humor about things, I guess. He's having <laughs> yeah, he's a, got a real a sense of humor. <laughs> oh, because because I mean, he you know it's important that the tall man enjoys what he what he does because you look at him and of he course, looks super serious. He's always you know super dressed up. He doesn't have any casual wear that we know of. <laughs> um, so I mean, <laughs> I, it wouldn't surprise me to learn yeah. he's miserable, but but I think he enjoys what he's doing. He enjoys his little cat and mouse with Mike for sure. He, he just calls him boy. I don't think once in the entire series he calls him Mike. He always just calls him boy. <laughs> Anyways, so the tall man takes him and puts him in the back of the hearse. He's able to escape, and then the hearse crashes for some reason and explodes. And then Mike then arrives at Morningside, and he gets inside the mortuary again. Around this time, Jody is shooting a silver ball uh, because it's attacking them with the shotgun, which... That's got to be a difficult shot. That thing's small. Yeah, I mean, I was impressed. But it's a really great moment. It kind of explodes when he shoots it. And then Reggie shows up, too, because Reggie, who we thought was dead, we think he's dead twice in this movie. And he says, like, no, I was just hiding in a casket pretending to be dead. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, why? It really, it really kind of feels like they threw that in, like, that they shot these scenes, uh, these kind of scenes towards the end with Reggie, and then they're like, oh, shit, we killed him off. What do we do? Outside <laughs> this, <laughs> this scene where, where he says, no, I was hiding. And he also says he found the two women from the antique store, and he had them go home. So they're okay. We learn they live. This is also just after Mike had opened his father's casket because Jody was about to open it, decided not to, but Mike opened it and found that it was empty. So the three of them, our three heroes, wander into that door that the granddaughter went into earlier, never to be seen again. And it's just this uh, white, very bright white, overwhelming room with mm-hmm. all these barrels. They're, basic, they're, they're kegs, essentially. And yeah, I looked at them and I thought, oh, those are... Fancy painted rain barrels. Or yeah, something. well, I, I used to work at a, um, uh, I, I did a lot of keg handling at a music festival when I worked in beverage operations. And most of the kegs are just silver, you know, they're just that like aluminum boring <laughs> looking things. But every now and then we'd get a Lining Kugel Summer Shandy that was like this black rubbery kind of thing. And that's what these look like. They're kind of these, it looks like maybe they're covered in rubber or whatever. But at any rate, they're looking in, they see that there's bodies in there, that those are the dwarves. And there's also these two 
silver rods, I guess you'd call them, standing that Mike is kind of drawn to. And he reaches in there and decides against it, and then he remembers the don't fear Michael line. So he does reach in, and he finds himself falling through a bunch of, like, smoke and this red color. And then he sees, like, on another planet, because this is just like a dimensional portal kind of thing. He sees on another planet that these Jawas are just, like, walking in a straight line doing slave labor. And mm-hmm. he's pulled out by Jody and Reggie, who had grabbed him, like, right when he started getting sucked in. And... Suddenly, Mike knows everything, or at least everything that we're going to learn in this movie, because the sequels get a little bit, they they all have their own additions to the mythology. But the idea is the tall man is taking dead bodies, crushing them to be dwarf size. And the reason he's doing that, not just so that they can rip off Star Wars, um, but that on on the planet that they're on, where they're slaves, they need to be a certain size due to the gravity like the gravity would be too oh. overwhelming for like a six foot tall person i guess which i don't know why the i mean the tall man's taller than that i don't know why he's over over here but yeah it's a little complicated and that's kind of all we get now but basically dead bodies make them into monsters but then they're also slaves that's you know the bare bones of it the lights then go out and everybody's like okay what's going on mike reaches for a lighter and turns it on and there's one of those dwarves staring right at him and then attacks him and at this point all three of these characters are separated somehow Mm -hmm. and um reggie is still in that room he's nearly sucked into the portal which starts all of the barrels go flying the kegs he is able to just barely escape though and then Reggie gets outside the building and is attacked by the Lady in Lavender slash the Tall Man, who stabs him. He appears to be dead. Mike and Jody escape, see that, try and help him, but then realize, no, it's it's not worth it. He's dead. We have to leave. And as they leave, the mortuary disappears? I don't know what that was about. Yeah. I yeah. think that must be like a, um, because I guess that uh, the thing that almost sucked Reggie in was getting all of those bodies there. And I guess maybe after that process is done, just the building, we don't need it anymore. Wipe it from existence. Yeah, I guess so. I, or, I, mean, yeah, I mean, it's there because it's a cool visual, but whatever. So Jody develops a plan to lure the tall man into a mine shaft of some mm-hmm. sort, like an old abandoned mine shaft that they have signs for still about like caution and stuff. And he says listen, I'll go over there, I'll dress it up, get, move those signs so nobody knows what's happening, and maybe he'll fall in it. And Mike's at home. He's, of course, attacked by the tall man who chases him. Mike's running, the tall man is walking. It's even filmed in slow motion. The music kicks in real nice and loud here. Well, I, I suppose first I should mention that when the tall man first sees him, he just goes in his deep, creepy voice, he just goes, boy, which is great. <laughs> yeah. And then as Mike is running and the tall man is following him walking, he says, like, you you play a good game, boy, (laughs) which I always like that line. I like the way this is shot, too, because he's in slow motion. He's walking. 
and with that line coming, his mouth isn't moving. So putting dialogue there means to me one of two things. Either that he's communicating with him like telepathically, maybe, which I don't think mm-hmm. that's it. I think it's more likely the second option that this chase is a lot longer than we see. And this is a way to convey that. Yeah. 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 Which I, I like that. But anyways, he, he nearly gets Mike there in the woods. Mike jumps over this entrance to the mine shaft and then the tall man falls in. And then Jody pushes boulders on top of him to crush him. Mike then wakes up. He's inside his house. He's with Reggie. They're by the fireplace. It's night. Reggie insists that it's all been a dream. Like, none of this happened. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And then Mike's like, no, I mean, Jody was there. He saw it all. And Reggie's like, what are you talking about? Jody died in a car wreck. And then we see kind of like a flashback to Mike at the cemetery looking at Jody's, what do you call that one? It's, it's just, I guess it's just a plot, but it's like... Plaque? A, yeah, guess. the plaque. It's, it's a headstone that's not standing up. It's just in the ground like mm-hmm. that. And he's looking at that. Us as the audience are like, wait a second, what's going on here? But Mike, semi-convinced that it is a dream, goes upstairs because he's they're about to pack because they're going to just hit the road because, you know, Reggie is looking after him, I guess, you know? And yeah, maybe, he's, he... maybe has been since the brother died a few months ago? Yeah, and Reggie says something like, let's get your mind off things, let's let's hit the road, go pack a bag or something. Yeah, so he goes up there, he looks in the mirror, and the tall man's there, and again, the boy line, and then from the mirror, dwarves jump out and attack him and pull him in, which is really great. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a weird ending. So many horror movies have that stinger at the end, you yeah. know? I really like this one because there's two stingers in it. A lot of movies would have just ended it on the tall man is there. And he, maybe he doesn't even say anything. You just see the tall man in the mirror. A lot of movies end on that kind of thing. But that's not a big ending. That's just kind of a thing that's like, oh, that's kind of neat. And then he says something. And it's like, okay, it's no longer a quick moment. But then the dwarves come. And, and it's really similar to the two dream sequences we, we've seen, which have both... We've only talked about one, and that was the one with Mike in the cemetery, but there was another one with Jody in the halls of the mortuary where he, like, sees the tall man coming at him, and he's against the wall, and then dwarf hands break through the wall and grab him. It has that feel to it where tall man first, dwarves with the jump scare second, you know, the setup and the payoff kind of thing. But it's really cool, and it's like, maybe this ending's a dream, maybe it's not, maybe the whole movie's a dream, maybe most of the movie's a dream. Bit of a mess if you really stop to think about it. But at any rate, that's Phantasm. Jim, what did you think? Yeah, it was it was great. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, kind of going off your final point there, that's why I liked it so much. It, it really made you think at the end. Yeah, it was just it was just really fun to watch. I loved the score, as we've talked about already. All the effects were pretty good, and I think that setting of like, late 70s or i guess i guess when it came out it was what 79 this it's worth noting when it comes out too because this is right after halloween halloween opened the door for independent low budget slasher movies this is very 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 far from that even though it's a low budget independent movie they're not trying to ape off anything they're they're making their own movie yeah and it's completely unique I can honestly say, because again, this is the first time I've seen this, it's unlike any horror movie I've ever seen before. The closest comparisons I have to this, and they're not close, but they're like, this reminds me of this, is this movie reminds me of kind of the collective work of David Lynch. Yeah. David Lynch, obsessed with dreams, 
uh, obsessed with not really giving the audience any kind of clarity. This movie kind of has that feel. I mean, it's it's a lot more straightforward, don't get me wrong, than a David Lynch movie or television show. But I just do get that feel, and I think there's just like a constant mystery all over this movie. Just the feel of mystery. I'm not. There's not like a literal mystery, like we're solving a crime kind of thing, but just like even that music mm-hmm. is just like so great at making you feel like just something is wrong here. It's kind of like... It's like, this is kind of the movie that I picture David Lynch would make if he was just a little bit more normal. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I totally agree. If he wasn't, you know, covered in a cloud of cigarette smoke. Yeah, and coming from me, that's high praise because I love Blue Velvet. I love Twin Peaks. I like Eraserhead. I don't know what other kind of thing to compare this to. I mean, Lynch is far from a perfect comparison, but something I got. Yeah, I think another reason that you're comparing it to lynchian to the goat stuff well yeah it's because it kind of flips your expectations of what the movie is or is about because there's so many horror movies that kind of start off in a graveyard or around a graveyard or have a graveyard well you have that opening kill that you have so many horror movies have that opening stinger where something scary has to happen in the very first Mm -hmm. scene no i shouldn't say no but very few horror movies just start like regular movies until the horror is introduced, there's like horror. I don't want to say immediately, but like you know, there's the, the, that opening scene has to be like a kill. I.e., yeah. every single Friday the Thirteenth movie, just to name one example there, or rather twelve examples. Yeah. Come to think of it, the really neat thing about this movie, though, is the I don't really want to call it change in setting, but it's almost like a change of aesthetics, where you have like this real grounded world with a graveyard, and even though there's supernatural stuff going on in it, it's still very tangible and real you know everybody's been to a graveyard we've all seen cars driving down streets i mean i live in one so (laughs) Uh, but as soon as they enter this this funeral home this mortuary it's so ethereal yeah the inside of that is is even very kind of otherworldly feeling i kind of said that earlier Uh, i mean it, it feels that way because it's a cheap set but also like i do think it it works for the movie it works well it does, yeah. And then especially when you see that, that chrome, that that silver ball floating oh, yeah. around. Uh, which actually that screw ball, floating, if you will. It's speeding around. Ugh, don't even, okay. Because it has okay. a little screw thing in it, or a drill, or whatever. Okay, You say that's yeah. a screw ball, why not? Sure. It's the best yeah. screw ball we watched this week. Don't drag that thing's fucking name and, <laughs> and part in this movie through the mud of that trash. <laughs> Even in addition to the interior of the mortuary, that hallway, which is that kind of Greco-Roman kind of thing, you have mm-hmm. inside that door that we had a lot of mystery building up to. Inside that door is this sci-fi, like, THX 1138 room. And yeah. so it's it, this whole thing is otherworldly. I 100% agree. I mean, we haven't really talked about it, but this is a sci-fi horror movie. I mean, it's very different from something like like The Fly or one that we've done, It, The Terror from Beyond Space. But it's a horror movie. It's got aliens. Because The Tall Man is... Based on this movie, The Tall Man may or may not be an alien. But at the very Mm -hmm. least, he services other aliens. Because he takes dwarves to other planets. He might be from Earth because we have that old photograph of him. It's funny that you just reminded me about the the futuristic look of that closed room or that... uh room that's locked oh you know what i I compared it to thx uh it's kind of the ending scene of 2001 space odyssey when he's in bed yeah it it has that kind of look to it which 
that I was one. Bring that there's up, also actually. like Greco-Roman statues and stuff in that. Yeah. Oh my god. Phantasm. I was actually. That's exactly what I was going to bring up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh sorry god, to take that right. away from you. No, yeah, that's Phantasm okay. well, sucks I'm... now. <laughs> well, I have another one too. The only other movie that I was surprised by in that change of scenery or that that r- removal from normal. Yeah. And this is gonna kind of suck, I guess. But it was Cabin in the Woods. Oh, I, I, yeah, I know what you mean. And that's done in a much more comedic way. But you have this like real yeah. life. I mean, not real life, but horror movie real life evil dead setting and then you've got these like corporate business people in this like giant bunker or whatever yeah i can kind of i can kind of imagine that i was also going to say it's not really an aesthetic difference but to go back to david lynch again blue velvet because you have kind of the world or the neighborhood in the daytime and it's happy-go-lucky there's people waving from the back of fire trucks as they drive by and then at night when dean stockwell comes out to lip sync to roy orbison it's like (laughs) terrifying and this is a town that's overcome by evil not to focus too much on david lynch but that kind of juxtaposition i think is just really interesting and that's why i like david lynch that's why i like this i guess yeah i totally agree with you 100 percent. so are you looking forward to the phantasm sequels I am, I am. And I have a question. Do they get better or do they get kind of like schlocky? I don't say they get better, but they don't get schlockier either. I think that overall it's a very good series. It's it's the rare series where it's been going for 40 years or something close to that. And Oh my God, it's, it's like James Bond. It's the James it's, Bond well, of the horror universe. <laughs> but, it's, but it's all the same story. It's, it's never been, there's never like a reboot, you know, because movies now, even like series that weren't literally rebooted, like the most recent halloween movie that's a very clear it's we're ignoring everything but the first halloween movie i mean halloween 3 was its own thing halloween 4 ignores halloween 3 halloween h2o ignores (laughs) 3 through 6 like it that series was rebooted a thousand times friday the 13th ignorant series that's what friday the 13th had its remake i mean every series seems to have at least one movie that people just ignore that future Mm -hmm. filmmakers even when it's not literally like a reboot, like no Friday the 13th movie after five mentions anything that happens in five, for instance. And like with Child's Play, which I mentioned all came from Don Mancini, this series all is from Don Coscarelli. He directed the first four. I think he had plans to direct the fifth, but for whatever reason didn't. But he's involved in all five of them creatively, writing, producing eventually, it's a, it's an interesting series. It's probably more interesting than good, but there's a, there's a couple pretty good movies in there. Well, I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to the to the rest of it. All right, well, just give us installment. several hundred more weeks, and we should get to them. Oh <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, because yeah, we, we don't know we don't know when these movies are coming, folks. And with a series like James Bond, there's so many of them. Decent chance, random number generator will land on it, and we'll get a James Bond movie with a, with a series with like five entries. Who knows? We don't know. But anyways, uh, I think we're kind of done with Phantasm now, aren't we? Yeah. So let's talk about... Yeah, talk about your favorite movie. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Patrick, as you you kind of mentioned off mic, or as we spoke a bit off mic, I guess, neither of us really like this movie. It's a bit of a pain to watch. And I said it makes me sad to be Canadian. Yeah, well, I I was ready to apologize to you because, like, hey, I put this on the list... I, I don't want to say I didn't know what we were getting into, because in some ways this is what I expected, but it was also a chore to sit through, so I, I want to apologize. I mean, we will get movies like this from time to time. We kind of already got a couple, but 
Killer Workout and Picasso Trigger were both more entertaining to sit through than this. But then, but then uh, I'm like, yeah. wait a second, you should apologize. This is Canadian. I know. I'm sorry, the world, for this terrible Canadian piece of shit that is aping off Porky's and which Porky's is also Canadian. So maybe you can't get stuck with him. Yeah, I'm sorry for it all. Uh, we suck. As, well, as, you know, as, I, as I, I was just people. thinking, you know, this movie's a, a clear ripoff. And I'm saying clear because that's what I understand. I've never seen Porky's. Yeah, me um, neither. There are a lot of Italians <laughs> in Toronto. Hint, hint. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so may, maybe it's maybe it's in their blood. Maybe maybe this was not, not one of those French-Canadian productions. Maybe this was an Italian-Canadian production. Yeah, maybe. You know what, actually, I do... The only thing I liked about this movie... By the way, for everybody listening... There were a few We're talking about Screwballs, 1983. Yes, Screwballs. There were a few things. There were a few kind of... Not laughs, but like chuckles, where it's like, okay, that line's kind of funny, you know? There were a few moments like yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, or sorry, I agree with you. The only thing I thought was interesting was they went to the TP drive-in, which was in Pickering. I think, I don't know if it's still open. I think it might be a lobby. Where the hell's now, Pickering? Uh, what is grocery that? Store. Um, it's in I think it's Ontario the somewhere. West. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's in Ontario. This whole movie was filmed in Ontario, despite American flags and people pretending that they're from Idaho. Oh, that's that's the thing. Yeah, that's, there's that one guy from Idaho. But that's the thing. Canadian movies love pretending they're American. You ever see, I mean, you ever see Black yes, Christmas? Yeah. There's American flags yeah. all over that. I have a theory on why a lot of Canadian movies pretend to be American movies, and well, it's just because to be American more movies get more traction. To, yeah, it's, yeah, it's more, yeah. to be more palatable to distributors. And this this movie, I guess, Roger Corman produced this. He's somewhere in the credits, or this he might is, be. And so is Jim Wynorski. Well, yeah, Jim, and Jim Wynorski kind of got it. Well, so co-wrote th- it, right? Thousands of people got their start with Roger Corman, I think. You have that kind of the 60s and 70s when the people who got their start through Roger Corman ended up being Martin Scorsese's, the Ron Howard's of the world, and and the uh, Peter Bogdanovich, um, some other like huge name, like quality film directors. And then at some point in the 80s, the people that got their start through Roger Corman were the Jim Wynorski's <laughs> and the, uh, and the, uh, what's that other guy? There's another guy that worked with Wynorski a lot whose name I always forget. I think he's got like, it's, it's like a three word name. And at some point in the 80s, the Scorsese's and the Ron Howard's and the Coppola's are all gone. And the people getting their start through Roger Corman are the Jim Wynorski's. I guess James Cameron comes from there too, technically. So there's 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 one you got. Well, you know, I can tell you that uh, uh, Screwballs is trash. So yeah, yeah, this is That's... this is no Return of Swamp Thing, you know, to to <laughs> refer to a much better Jim Wynorski movie. That I actually legitimately like that movie. Not even in a well, no, I am ashamed of it. I was going to say in a way that I'm not ashamed, but no, I'm I'm ashamed of a lot of things that I enjoy and. I'm ashamed of this movie, and I didn't even enjoy it, so there you go. Oh, yeah, is this the first time you saw this? Yes, this is one of those rare, oh or at least God. thus far rare, because I think it's only been, is it Silent Hill and uh, Picasso Trigger, I think, might be the only other ones. Um, okay. And well, also- I didn't like the other two that much. Silent Hill was okay, but this is this is worse than even Picasso Trigger. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, Picasso Trigger, Picasso Trigger. Picasso Trigger. I mean, uh... <laughs> yeah, Picasso Trigger is at least kind of like it does have some redeeming quality. It had a plot, it kind of schlocky, kind of. It kind of had a plot. The plot was mostly boobs, which that's what it is here. But there's two things I'm I'm gonna mention about this movie, and then I think maybe we can get into it because one of them is something you said. You messaged me the other day, and you said 
because for everybody listening, you know, this is sometimes Patrick and I have a quick little chat. We don't want to talk about the movies too much before the podcast, obviously. I or I, but that having been said, I I knew what you were going to think of this movie. I, I didn't have to ask you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, but Patrick sent me this message and it said something like, "Hey, I'm thinking when we do the podcast, we don't have to talk that much about screwballs." Or oh, about said, the yeah, plot of screwballs specifically. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. because normally we yeah. go through the plots. We probably you know we'll have to see in editing, but we probably spent. 35 40 minutes on phantasm maybe even longer mm-hmm. and this is going to be i picture this being like a I can like a commercial break for you. you know like a two minute yeah. long commercial break or something yeah but because well, and, and the biggest reason sorry to step on your canadian foot there but i think you'll probably appreciate that's okay pal. me <laughs> speaking up on screwballs is that problem is there isn't really a plot there is mm-hmm. this is basically a sketch comedy it's, yes, yeah. You have different scenarios, different scenes of people trying to get laid or to at least see boobs. And even the mm-hmm. women are horny as hell, too. You have various scenes of this where there's some kind of comedy. A guy is going to have sex with this teacher and they spill a chemical thing and the room explodes or something like something stupid like that. Yeah. Um, well, uh, and it's basically yeah, they, there's, it's... there's so little stringing this together. Am I crazy in wanting more of a structure to my hormone-filled teenage boner comedies? Like, am I wrong in wanting that? No, 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 no. Because you know why? Because American Pie, they're pretty solid movies. That American Pie has a plot. American Pie is... So this movie is... uh, Because there's, like, some... There's a little bit of attention played to these. There's these, like, five or six or seven or eight. There's... Too many characters, but there's like these guys in detention, and they all talk about this one girl in school who is she's apparently the only woman in school who's a virgin. Which, when you see the freshmen getting their breasts examined, it makes sense because the freshmen are 25, so it's possible. <laughs> um, but and then there's some like yeah. they're going to someone is going to have sex with her, and you think that's where the plot is, and it's like okay, that is a plot, but then we don't really follow up on that i mean there's seen there are no. individual scenes that follow up on that but the movie as a whole doesn't yeah and now there's something strange about that plot too because i went back something yeah <laughs> yeah there's more than one thing and actually you know i should also say that you and i try to watch these movies uh, or each movie twice before the podcast this is one i definitely this is a one and once. done this is a one yeah and i done. was like no more thanks <laughs> five minutes in I i'm like i'm not watching it. this a second time yeah, yeah. i'm sorry any of you screwballs you... aficionados out there <laughs> Yeah, all any of you screwheads. But I guess with that, you know, I'm I'm just gonna get into it, and I can summarize the whole movie or some give you the plot in about one, maybe two sentences. Basically, just is, know that this is the horniest high school on earth, and that's pretty much yeah. It. So I'm gonna sum up the plot of the movie in like one or two sentences, and that is that these five horny teenagers get sent to detention in various different sex, sex crime ways. ways? But this girl, Purity, I don't even know what her last name is. Oh, it's, it's something, they, everybody has like some kind of pun name. It's something like Bust. Purity it's, Chased? <laughs> it, it's, it's something like, I don't think it's Bust, but it's like something like that. Oh, okay. It's like a yeah. seven-year-old watched a James Bond movie and tried to recreate those names. It's that kind of thing. I mean, yeah, we've got Bootsy exactly Goodhead, like. which is, I actually kind of like <laughs> <Yeah>. that name. <laughs> I do like that name, yeah. I'll name my daughter that. As like a um, sleazier James Bond girl <laughs> name. Bootsy Goodhead. Uh, I mean, it's not yeah, that so different there's... from Mary Goodnight, really. 
No, or, you know, Pussy Galore. What's, well, Pussy what's Galore is, is the holy grail of <laughs> of sex pun names. <laughs> no, she just likes cats. She just likes cats a lot. Uh, but yeah, so these you know, a big five fan horny of the teenagers goes by pussy. That's why. <laughs> but yeah, these five these five horny teenagers all get detention for committing various sex crimes at their school, at their high school. But they were all sent there in part by this girl named Purity, who is the only girl left in the high school who hasn't had sex. And they all make a pact right then and there while they're in detention to originally it was to get with her yeah. or to to get with her before homecoming but it's then somehow changed to to see her boobs before homecoming well you know you got to move the goalposts you know they 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 realize what they're up against they respond to the challenges that they face it's it's actually really well written movie in that sense (laughs) they're actually overcoming a lot of barriers you know this is actually very (laughs) i would like to point out by the way so on on Letterboxd, I when I write <laughs> reviews of movies that I watch, I'll usually stick I'll usually stick to like a kind of like a one liner, like a joke about the movie, whether I like it or dislike it, because I review movies elsewhere, and so I don't have to put that much time or thought into this. And I think I think it was with School Spirit that I said like this is probably the horniest movie I've ever seen. This this movie blows School <laughs> Spirit out of the water. I mean, this is just in incredibly horny it's incredibly misogynistic of course and in a way like i'm not saying like teen sex comedies are inherently misogynistic basically if they center around males because high school males are dumb and they think stupid dumb reprehensible things about women but like this movie is just like there's so much of that can i shock you for a second i mean you might (laughs) know this so i might not shock you but this movie was co-written by a woman (laughs) <laughs> yeah isn't that funny like she wrote yeah. this i know linda shane know. who plays bootsy goodhead who also posed as the model no. for the poster which is it's no. a fun poster I'll, I'll give this movie that she's the one who co-wrote this yeah bootsy oh my god yeah you might it, see you might see her topless the most in this uh yeah maybe right? she wrote it before it was cast i don't know um <laughs> no i mean here's the thing like this is something we, t- we talked about with like picasso trigger too it's like watching movies like this you don't really know if women in like movies with a lot of nudity are being exploited or not you hope they aren't i kind of get mm-hmm. this sense with especially with, like a lot of roger corman movies they probably were but the fact that a woman is involved in the creative process makes me think Either this was trying to be kind of a satire of the genre, which I don't think, if it was, it doesn't translate like that. Or no, not at all. maybe that at least she, her, maybe no other actress in the movie, but at least she was probably very comfortable with what she was doing, I think, I hope. Very weird that yeah. this was written by a woman. And I think you kind of nailed it earlier. You kind of nailed it earlier when you called it, like, the horniest sex comedy. It is. Because I mean, every is, sex comedy is horny. Every one, but this one. But this one to the nth degree. Yeah, un- it's like unprecedented. Watching, yeah, it, it's like watching a skit on Mad TV that's about teens being super horny, but that's been stretched out into like an hour and twenty minutes. Or it's just fifteen different skits. Yeah, because that's exactly that's that, truly that. how it feels. I mean, even like the opening scene of this movie was like off-putting. Like, you know what I mean? It's it's. Um, and I was just about to say that it's, because it opens with Linda Shane, uh, aka Bootsy Goodhead, aka the co-writer of this. Um, she's like putting something up on a sign for like some restaurant or jelly or whatever banner, that she works yeah. at. Right off the bat, we've got obnoxious cartoon sound effects that like what's going on because there's this like co- I think it's a cow 
but then in and it's two women putting stuff up on the um the awning or whatever the sign has a swinging hot dog and it's going back and forth between the two of them and of course there are suggestive lines about it and it's just like well they're moaning it's it's moaning profusely that's what it is yeah i mean i mean this is how this is how we're opening the movie like what yeah and, uh, and by the way the camera zooms in on the word coming too oh i didn't i don't think i noticed that i probably would have if i watched it a second time but so anyways i was just about to talk about that you know exactly what kind of movie this is when the first 45 seconds of the movie it's it's women moaning and this sorry this this focus on the word coming and then they slowly kind of pull back to show the word homecoming but it's these two women moaning oh yeah big hot dog bouncing between their butts yeah and they go to tna high school of course yeah exactly taft and adams but but so every every cheerleader wears a uniform that just says tna i don't want to say that's funny but that's far from the worst humor this movie has to offer that might be one of the best jokes in the movie the best joke of this movie is with bootsy goodhead it's not the milk line because that line's terrible and it has a cartoon sound effect which yeah but it's when it's at cheerleader practice she's and her friend tells bootsy i think you're going out with my brother and she's like oh yeah i probably am which one is he yeah. like, that was kind of a funny line like <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um, yeah i can i can honestly say no lines in this movie made me laugh out loud and i don't think any scenes did either it was all just no no so i don't think i laughed out loud but there were a few kind terrible. of mildly humorous li- lines like that that were kind of like okay you know that's kind of funny maybe i should get into a quick discussion about the plot and then we can talk about i thought we did that fucking terrible okay well we, here, we, oh, we, we did that that's covered I, I, honestly there's, <laughs> there's like a uh that's more covered than the women are in this movie um but there's oh this, got him there's this like there's like this dance thing at the end that things are i don't want to say building towards but i mean yeah, that's well, that's pretty much it you know pr- principal stuck off is kind of a dick and that's uh, all the characters in this movie are like caricatures of what these jobs are or, or what people in these positions are in real life so i mean the principal is this dickish mousy looking guy who likes to give detention out the librarian is this kind of dowdy looking woman who's always yelling at people yes. to be quiet and shush all the cheerleaders are these horny young teenagers like they're all somebody out of out of debbie does dallas oh yeah that's exactly I mean, I'll, I want to, I want to preface, or I want to say, I didn't, I've never seen Debbie Does Dallas. However, <laughs> Debbie I do Does know of the it. Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders. But yeah, no, I've never seen Debbie Does Dallas either. Of course, I was going to use the excuse that I have a life, but I can't do that now that I've seen Screwballs. That that is no longer true. <laughs> uh, solid. Yeah, that is no longer but, true. Uh, yeah, and then and out of these like five main male characters, you have kind of like the out of towner, this new kid who's yeah, from no, Idaho no, no, no. who has this very Canadian accent. There was uh, the first time because I I did know this was Canadian coming in, but you don't tell for most of the movie. And there's just a couple lines here and there. I think there was one where they were in in French class after one of the horny boys takes over for the teacher, where he's yeah. trying to stick the Eiffel Tower in this girl's mouth or something. Purity's mouth. It yeah. was it was a purity. I mean I don't care. And I think <laughs> she, I think she no 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 it was a different scene. That scene exists. That's a scene. That that is a scene. I did not make that up. There's another scene when two of the girls are at like the cafeteria and they're just getting food from the cafeteria lady or man i can't remember which and yeah, they yeah, one of them dude. just says something like oh i need to get something hot in my mouth they did like it's yeah. just like yeah, out mouth. of nowhere there was this like hard canadian owl it was just like like whoa i know i kept on expecting everybody to say a 
But uh, yeah, I mean, all the all the characters <laughs> take offy, but they're all total stereotypes. Like, there's this rich kid. What's is like his name's Brett or something like that, and he's got he walks around with a tennis racket. Well, and this is this movie. is a also a movie where where the nerd is is you know super yeah nerdy. got the giant glasses and yeah. So I mean, it's that yeah. that was that was a big thing, especially in like '80s teen movies for whatever reason. Yeah. Revenge of the Nerds, you know, a notable example that I haven't seen, but is on our list, believe it or not. And I have seen Revenge of the Nerds. Okay, so it's better than this, that, I assume. But, uh, but, yeah, by far. And to be fair, in you talking about like every character is like just a stereotype, and I'm like, yeah, that's true, and that's definitely not the type of thing that I enjoy or like think is funny. But to be fair, that was intentional. I mean, like you know, it's intentional, but like mm-hmm. the the director, some guy name withheld, is uh, said that he envisioned this movie as a live action cartoon. And I mean, he kind of created that. He did, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll give, I'll give him, he, he made the movie he meant to make, apparently. He just meant to make a really, really bad sex comedy. I'll give him that, but it's just such a fucking terrible piece of shit. It really is. And it's made even more terrible because, like, the sex comedy is just nonstop. Like, it's just nonstop shitty joke after shitty joke. Yeah, you, here's the thing. And, like, terrible thing after terrible thing. If you thing. have a horny sex comedy, don't have 100% of the humor come from sex. No, you need exactly. You need a, a solid 15% that aren't. Maybe there's just a character that's really witty or something like that. And I guess maybe 99% of this comes from sex, 1% comes from nerd. But, like, yeah. it's basically, it's just that. Because even the adults, we, we have the scene with, I think it's Purity's parents. Or, like, yeah. Purity's mother is, like, a this nymphomaniac. Cra- horn, like this, yeah, yeah, she's this crazy cougar. Which which was but, the uh, other scene that I found mildly, the other, like, line or scene that I found mildly funny. Again, not to the point of eliciting laughter, but it's, I think it's, I don't remember if it's the Idaho, Idaho guy. It's one of the guys is trying to get into... Um, yeah, Purity's bedroom, and he's like, "Hey, can I come in?" And then it's just the mother screaming yes <laughs> from from yeah. having sex with the father, and it's like, oh, and he's like, "Okay," and it's like, "Okay, that's kind of funny." Yeah. The other thing that is terrible at this, about this movie is that it's I don't necessarily want to call it disgusting, but after a certain point where it's just sex joke on sex joke on sex joke it just becomes unpalatable there's these cheerleaders that you mentioned who go to the cafeteria and they're like oh i want some hot nuts on my sunday yeah i want your hot nuts the guy behind the counter at the cafeteria he's one of the main kids who goes into detention he like pulls out this bottle of whipped cream and he starts like jerking it off and you're like okay like i get it you don't need to add that into the movie like, I get what you're going for, you know? And he gets caught, like, jerking off in the meat locker. And you're like, okay, I get it. St- you know, stop it with all this stuff. But the the scene that made me the most uncomfortable, by far, and there's, like, a few scenes in here that make me pretty uncomfortable, but the one that was the worst was one that you just kind of skirted around where, what's his name, Tim, Tom? I don't know. Who, who fucking cares? I don't know the name. The guy from Idaho. I know Bootsy. That's yeah. It. But anyways, the guy from Idaho, he goes to Purity's house to try to get into her room and, like, He's trying to get into her room, but he hears her moaning. And she's actually in her room having a dream about her, like, with her teddy bear next to her. This giant fucking teddy bear. And she's going on about, no, Teddy. No, we can't go to the movies. No, Teddy, not here. No, we can't here. And then she starts dry humping her teddy bear in her sleep. And there's a couple shots of just, like, hanging on purity, dry humping her teddy bear and moaning. And I'm like, why? I don't need to see this. I'm not like super put off by it, but mm-hmm. it just it's something that doesn't need to be in a movie because it's also not done in a funny enough way. Yeah, it's not. 
Yeah, I guess that's the biggest problem is that, I mean, I don't think you can really make a good movie that's, like I said, like 100% sex jokes. But if you're going to try to do it and come close to pulling it off, it just needs to be funnier. It needs to be better written. I don't know. I mean, I've seen a lot of bad sex comedies from like the 80s that were a lot better than this. There's like Private School, which, you know, in the the scene when uh, one of the boys dresses up as a woman to... Well, it happens twice because he dresses up as a woman <laughs> to do the freshman breast cancer exam. No, no, he thing. dresses up like a doctor. And he calls himself Dr. Oh, Pepper. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he's not a woman. Yeah, he's yeah. Dr. Pepper. That's right. Okay, but there's like... Terrible three, fucking joke. There are three Anyways, scenes continue. of these boys impersonating authority figures. There's the Dr. Pepper scene. There's the French teacher scene, which I don't know what that was about. He, she, the teacher just like leaves the room and he takes... It's like, what? And then another scene when... I can't remember what subject it is, but it's a man dresses up it, as a woman. It's like home ec or something. Yeah, and and he, he dresses up as a woman, and he does his, like, you know, his, his little Mrs. Doubtfire voice kind of thing. And it's like, that's basically <laughs> yeah. what, that's the entirety of the movie Private School. Like, that's a movie about a boy or maybe two boys dressing up as women, going in, dressing in drag to go, like, have sex with, like, Phoebe Cates or whatever. And yeah, that well, movie, I, it's not good, but it has a couple of decent laughs. I mean, this one doesn't. And you get that re- repetition, too, and then just like, ugh. And all those movies, because I was thinking about this when I was watching it, all those movies kind of revolve around a specific gimmick. You know, like, I I, I wouldn't necessarily call Police Academy, like, a sex comedy, but there's that element but there's of sex Vice in Academy. It, a lot. There's Vice Academy, which <laughs> is kind of a parody of, of Police Academy, which is a sex comedy. There you go. All six but Vice Academy also... movies on our list. Stay tuned oh, for more. Oh, my God. No, they're not, are they? <laughs> they are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and uh, even Revenge of the Nerds, its gimmick, its thing is that they're nerds. You know, like, that's... And, and you have all these creative ways in which they're trying to, like, get women topless and whatever. But... A weird science movie... where they build a well you know it's it's that kind of thing weird science yeah yeah, yeah. The bill. this this movie's just about five random people like a, like a cool kid a rich kid a nerd a cafeteria loser guy who jerks off a lot his last name's jerk off but yeah like it's just a bunch of losers or a, ben- a bunch of like standard stereotypical characters yeah trying to get a woman topless and they do it in many times yeah yeah and it's i i counted it. it's like eight different ways and all well, the, of them well, there's the medical exam. Except for the last there's one. what was with the drive-in? What even was that scene? I don't know. We don't no even clue. have to talk about it. No clue. I kind of just want to say. Well, that's like, the one where, where where Bootsy Goodhead has her kid off, and she's like pressed up against the window because she got her fingers stuck in the van door. Yeah. And her boobs are up against the window for like five minutes, and you're like, "What is even going on?" I don't know. Yeah, and the yeah. Kids that are throwing condom. Weird. So here's the thing: this movie does have a gimmick. The gimmick is the women know they are in teen sex comedies, mm-hmm. right? Because here's the thing, yeah. and maybe this is the Linda Shane influence, the you know the female voice coming through. But the boys are characters in a teen sex comedy film. They don't know it because that's just what they are, right? There's no self-awareness. Mm-hmm. We want to see boobs. We want to touch boobs, that kind of thing. The women are like kind of into it they like seem to know that this yeah. is just like what happens in movies like this like normally in, they're in, deep throating sausages they're yeah. moaning well yeah you know? the opening scene but like normally in that like a movie like this the women should be outraged repulsed by the boys and they're really not it's weird yeah there's like a few scenes where like someone's like kind of mildly upset but not really it's the principal that's like pissed off exactly yeah 
my major issue with this movie is that it's supposed to be set in like the mid 60s but oh yeah for no real reason yeah yeah for no real reason maybe because animal house was is that what they're doing maybe animal house is like vietnam era for also pretty much for no reason but that's yeah, at least a good movie reason, gets away with it. The only reason I can think of them setting it in the 60s is that you have, like, the cool-looking cars, all of those, like, cheerleading uniforms, you know, those cheerleading... I almost called them tunics. Um, You know, like, like sweaters, almost. Yeah, well, it's, it's what the USC cheerleaders still wear to this day. It's, like, that kind yeah. of that long-sleeve thing. But, like, the worst part about it is, though, it's, like, this could have been a smart movie, or... Actually, no. Strike that from no, the record. No, no, That's yeah, no. It could this not could not have, have been a smart movie. The weird thing about it is watching it, you're like... I get that you're going for this kind of 60s thing, but it doesn't have the feel of anything from the 60s. Like, it definitely feels like it's from the 80s. Well, yeah, because even when the theme song kicks in, which I guess we'll call it a theme song. They don't, like, say screwballs or anything, but it's the song that plays over the credits right after that sausage scene. That's, like, a modern, like, 80s-sounding thing. I actually like the song. It's a decent song. Better than It's a lot better than the movie. And and, and it's like, Yeah. yeah, if they're doing a 60s thing, shouldn't they have played, like beach boys maybe or like something like that yeah and, well that and then my big point to this is if you're gonna do like a 60s thing then going back to what you said about like the women then they should be playing it like much more as, as yeah exactly or maybe when some of them are finally kind of let loose they feel this release of like sexual energy you know this yeah. release from their yeah, shackles yeah. of yeah they're playing it like whatever. they're from 1968 already Exactly. That's exactly my point. That's exactly my point. They're playing. Yeah, they're playing it like the sexual revolution is like well underway. Because like you see pictures, you see shots of this high school of tits and ass high school, and people Taft are just making out in the halls. Uh, but people are just making out in the hallways and like pressed up against the lockers and stuff. And you're like, what is like, what is even this? If my high school was like that, hell, I'd have a crazier experience. Except you know, I'd probably be the the kid serving and like like slinging slop in the cafeteria. But yeah. anyways, that's besides the point. That was my point. Before we move on, though, the worst scene... I, I don't know if you're going to agree with me on this one. The worst scene in the whole movie... Oh, how can you choose was... one? <laughs> no, there's so many bad ones. Uh, but the worst one for me, the one that you could have just... I, the, it was just awful. It was the one in the library when all the like main oh. characters, all these guys, they're sitting around like looking at porn. Uh, yeah. like playboys and stuff like that that they're covering with library books and they're all getting boners yeah what and the, there's a close-up of their boners yeah. like pushing up against their pants and it's making noise it's like well down their to... thighs though these are very well yeah. down it's like near the knee almost it's like it's a weird special <laughs> yeah. effect and yeah, it's, it's weird really that weird. there even is a special effect and then as you're yeah. about to say the sound is is yeah, yeah. what it, it's like it's like drums and moaning yeah and then the librarian not, has to say what... shush yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although that that like, that scene did end on again a moment approaching humor. I don't want to say it was funny, but yeah, but she like, looks at the table of like four or five boys and she's like, "All right, I want that table out of here." And then they get up and just carry away the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually thought that was kind of comical, but it that was, was it was it was thing. it was completely. That's like a joke from like Top Secret or something. It's it's not yeah, in line with exactly the humor it. of the rest of the movie. It is funnier Ugh. than the rest of the movie though, and maybe the movie could have used more of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, all in all, you know, I don't even think I need to ask you what your opinions are on it. It was a shit movie. Don't watch it, Patrick. What do you think? <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I I didn't like it. I think there was some mild competition. 
not really though. I'm I'm just thinking of like the worst movie we've watched so far because we in all likelihood will watch worse than this. But this makes Killer Workout look like audition. A fucking masterpiece. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. This is bad. So, that having been said, this is just a formality at this point, but Jim, which of these two movies do you prefer? <laughs> Definitely Phantasm. I'm not even going to pretend to like Screwballs. How about you, buddy? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Phantasm is great, and Screwballs is not great. It's very, very, very far from great. You know, if there's any saving grace, it's that this film isn't available on streaming anywhere that I'm aware of, so we can't tell people to go out and see it, because I wouldn't want them to. Well, you know, if anybody does want to see it, I watched it on Daily Motion. <laughs> Okay. Uh, they have a part one and part two. Uh, it's terrible. Oh, you know what? Actually, come come meh. to think of it, come to think of it, I did notice that when I was like Google image searching for this movie, I did notice that there is an upload on YouTube that says Screwball's full movie. And I think I clicked on it just out of curiosity. The movie's about 78 minutes. It's like an hour and 18 or something like that. And the YouTube video is like an hour and nine minutes. So I don't know if they just yeah, cut off one... like the last couple of scenes or cut off the beginning or cut off something in, in the middle. Either way, they didn't cut off, cut out enough. No. <laughs> yeah. Fuck that movie. That's the worst. <laughs> All right. So, Jim, how do you think this functions as a drive-in double feature? Even though Screwballs is absolutely terrible, it might be oh, fun to watch no. after Phantasm. I certainly wouldn't put it before, but uh, I, I would strike it. I would strike it from the screen. I do not want this following Phantasm. Or oh, yeah, well, I, yeah, I don't want this following any movie, but, like, it's it's just because, like, <laughs> this movie has the tools to be a great second feature to a drive-in. It's comedy. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. got a lot of sex, a lot of nudity, but that's really all the movie is. And, I mean, the, well, minus the comedy because it's not really funny. <laughs> It's just sex and boobs. And, like, Picasso Trigger at least gave us explosions here and there. It gave us it gave us a bazooka shooting a car driven by Clay Matthews <laughs> yeah, like and Paul from Cheers. Like, that was great. But, you know, like, all teen sex comedies are, like, for, like, 16, 17-year-old kind of that demo. Mm-hmm. This feels like it's for 13-year-olds. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's like if all yeah. you want is boobs and you do not have access to pornography, this movie came out before the internet, of course, then you will see this, and you might enjoy it. Whereas, like, someone a little bit older, a little bit more mature, but still not that mature, is like, I want to see boobs, but they don't just see boobs. They see, like, some comedy with it, or some humor with it. Like, American Pie is is, is the classic, modern teen sex comedy i mean there's others there's probably others better but like that movie has some funny performances eugene levy is a treasure in that movie you know and this movie doesn't have anything like that you know maybe we can't compare it to kind of the gold standard of teen sex comedies but even comparing it to more to lesser movies i mentioned private school private school was better than this i mentioned school spirit it also didn't have a plot but i want to say that made me laugh a few times and I mean, going back to this as a double feature, I mean, you have Screwballs is a movie that feels like it was written by a 12 year old who's never been to a high school. And yeah. Oh, just, yeah. And I'm sorry if it wasn't clear, bad double feature just because, I mean, if this movie were funny, maybe it would be a decent follow up because Phantasm is a good, effective, serious, creepy horror movie. You want levity after that. But this isn't that. This isn't where to go. Again, you have this movie written by a 12 year old who thinks high school is going to be an orgy. And then you have something that's Which, kind that's of that's college, son. I'm sorry. Know. That's college. <laughs> yeah. Watch American Pie, for crying out loud. But yeah, so, I guess that's done. <laughs> Jim, would you like to hear about what we're doing next time? 
Jim Of course and I would, Patrick. All right. Yeah, please tell me. We're doing... One of these is one you personally requested that I put on the list, which even though it was already on the list <gasps> even before you got to me, because no movies are going to slip by me. We've got Saw, the original Saw, 2004, the James Wan, uh-huh. Lee Winnell film, and The Vast of Night released... It's one of those movies where it's like the official listing is like 2019, but maybe two people on Earth saw it in 2019. It was basically released <laughs> this... It, I shouldn't say this year because this episode is going to come out after New Year. It's basically a 2020 movie. Yeah, you, you requested Vast of Night. I did, yeah. I, uh, uh, I was, <laughs> you, you had I me doubting it. myself for a second there. <laughs> yeah, I was like... Was I, yeah, sorry, I was confused. Uh, no, yeah, I, I requested it. When we started talking about this podcast, I said, can we add it? And you're like, oh, it's already on there, pal. And I said, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, it's, it's in many ways, it's not, it's, I mean, we'll talk about this next time, but, like, not really a great drive-in movie, but it has that 50s kind of... It's got that drive-in feel. Yeah, in, in a way. Anyways, but I've seen it. It's a good movie. It's also available on Amazon Prime. It's considered a Prime original, so I believe you'll be able to access it from any country that has Prime. Alright, so we've got Saw and the Vast of Night due up next time. You know, until then, thank you for joining us this time. We're sorry. We hope you're not too repulsed by screwballs not to return with us next time. (laughs) Alright, I'm Patrick. And I'm Jim. Alright, take care, folks. Go watch Fantasy. Bye, everybody, and happy holidays. Do what he said.